Good morning, Christ Church. Good morning. You rebellious people, you. You have come willfully out of the world into the house of the Lord on the Lord's day to be with the Lord's people, to meet around the Lord's table, to proclaim the greatness of God, to proclaim that there is no other way, to proclaim that God is the greatest thing that has ever happened to you, to proclaim there is a heaven awaiting us. Can I hear an amen? amen. I love you for that. Because the world, it doesn't understand what you're doing. And the one that we're going to be talking about this morning hates what you're doing. Now, I want you to just take a second and think about what this world would be without sin. Stop looking at your husbands, ladies. <laughs> take, a, take a second and think about this world without sin. Can I imagine it? Yes, I can. Because the Bible proves it. In Genesis chapter 1 and 2, it's time before Satan's influence. And it's called paradise. In Revelation 21, 22, after Satan's been banished, it's going to be called the new heaven and the new earth. Paradise restored. Now, Inspector Clouseau would figure that out pretty quickly that the common denominator about all evil and chaos is Satan himself, the devil. What if the devil? Now, great theologians have studied that, and they've figured it out. They understand that Satan's trying to destroy and undermine everything that God has ordained. Men like Martin Luther and Jonathan Edwards, Francis Schaeffer, C.S. Lewis, Greg Laurie, Rabbi Zacharias, Jack Cottrell figured out that Satan's main goal is to keep you from having a loving and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But I'll go one step further, one that you might understand more than those great theologians. Mick Jagger <laughs> knew that all evil comes from Satan. All the world problems come from Satan. And I need you to help me out with this. I need to get a little woo-hoo going. Woo-hoo, woo-hoo, woo-hoo. Can you do that for about another minute? Woo-hoo. Come on, come on, keep it going. Please allow me to introduce myself. I'm a man of wealth and taste. Been around for a long, long year. Listen to this. Stole many a man's soul and faith. I was around when Jesus Christ had a moment of doubt and pain. Made darn sure that Pilate washed his hands and sealed his fate. Pleased to meet you. Hope you guessed my name. But what's puzzling you is the nature of my game. Give yourself a hand. The nature in the devil's game is what we're going to be talking about this morning. Mick Jagger understood 
that all evil is inspired by Satan. The death of Jesus, the ignoring of Satan, of, of Jesus' deity by Pilate, the killing of the Russian czars, the blitzkrieg in World War II, the Crusades, the killing of the Kennedys. Jagger sings in first person the narrative as the devil. And he boasts of his role in each of the several historical atrocities that repeatedly ask the listener to guess my name. And the idea came from a writer called Mikhail Bulgakov who wrote The Master and the Margarita. And it was a novel that grappled with the notions of good and evil. Because from the very beginning, mankind always has to grapple with the answer of good and evil. And Jagger was given a copy of this book by a famous singer back in the 60s, Marianne Faithful, some of you might remember, who was his girlfriend at the time. And Jagger was given this copy, and he was enthralled with the book. And that was the, the, the inspiration behind sympathy for the devil. And today I get to preach on the devil's existence. Tim didn't let me preach on the love of God. He lets me preach on the devil's <laughs> existence. See, the modern progressive mind doesn't even think that's a real thing. They say that we're backwards and we're a backward relic of a failed religious past to believe in such things. Today's progressive society is opposed to any notion of God and righteousness, sin and judgment because it impedes their progressive globalist pro pro agenda. They want the cultural elite to dictate their program to the world. Now, we're going to come to understand that that cultural elite is inspired by the devil himself. They believe truth is relative. They believe that what, you can't believe in truth because my truth is different than your truth. And if your truth is different than my truth, how can any truth be true? But they say, this is, this is 2023. We have progressed beyond the need for a Bible. The Bible is archaic. It was for a time when people were superstitious and not as evolved. How has the greatest country in the world fallen to such a debased thinking? Americans used to believe in the truth of God and his word. The truth of the Bible. The country is founded on the Bible and patriotism. Baseball, family, apple pie, Chevrolet, and the American way. That's how we grew up in the 50s. My generation in the 60s kind of started to ruin, ruin that. We, now we believe in socialism and abortion and legalizing drugs. Even Aaron Rodgers is doing ayahuasca and going in dark retreats for four days to find a new ethic. Now we defund the police and we have everything based on identity politics. And woke corporations are using artificial intelligence to identify conservatives and Christians just like you. And that's going to lead to a scary future for all of us who are trying to walk in the ways of Jesus Christ. How can we embrace such a malevolent theology? Friends, listen to this Everything visible and everything physical is a result of something invisible and spiritual. Let me say that one more time. 
Everything visible and physical, anything you can see, is a result of something invisible and spiritual. So please allow me the chance to introduce yourselves to the enemy. And Jesus, in, 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 with John, the writer, identified that in John 10.10. 10. He identifies two entities that, that uh, influence mankind's thoughts. The thief comes only, John 10.10, 10, to steal, kill, and destroy. That's the devil. But I have come, that's Jesus, that you have life and have it abundantly. The Bible states in 1 Peter 5, 8, be self-controlled, be alert. You're, the, the, the enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. For decades now, we've allowed his powers to be removed from our public life and existence. And we're suffering for it. I even think some of the youngest teenagers in this audience would say something just isn't right. Something's bothering me about my future. Something's really just getting to the core of my being that I don't know whether I want to live in this society anymore. And when a nation, a society reject God and his restraining influence, then we fall prey to the devil's lies, schemes, and destruction. And in my opinion, that's what's happened to our society and in the world and in America today. We've lost listening to the still, small voice of God. And we listen to the devil in all of his mass media barrage. Big idea, the devil is real. And he's a really bad dude. <laughs> so today we deal with the entity that would be identified as Satan. So does the devil exist? Who is Satan? How did he come to be? What does he do? And how do we avoid his influence? A lot of you like to read C.S. Lewis. He said, there is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God or counterclaimed by Satan. I believe that. I believe that. There was a time I wouldn't have believed it. Back when my hair was longer and I was skinny and I had abs and Debbie looked at me longingly. That's in our past. <laughs> but back then, I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have bought into this. But now I understand. I've studied the Bible. I've remembered my study of sociology and psychology. I remember clinging to hoping in the world. And the world left my soul high and dry because it only can leave your soul high and dry. Only the things of God can fill your soul. Only the things that emanate from the one who created all existence can allow your soul to thrive. Our enemy is one you cannot see, but you see his devastation all around us. That's why our society is falling apart. They say it's progressing. We say it's regressing. 
All the idea, common sense says there's got to be something wrong. There's something that needs to be that's causing all this evil. And does the devil, does the devil exist? We say common sense says absolutely yes. Just the idea of good and evil proves to me that there is a God and there is an evil one. There is an anti-God. The extraordinary evil that exists in our world leads me to believe that there's got to be a force behind it. Our enemy is one that is sneaky and he's, he's resilient. And he will, he will march uh, away from the things of God. How else could you explain Charles Manson, Hitler, Stalin, the Unabomber, the Boston Marathon bomber, Jeffrey Epstein, modern cities becoming mass murder dens, abortion up to the point of, of birth, serial killings, school shootings, students be allowed to transition without their parents' uh, uh, signatures. Somebody told me this, and I read about it the other day, putting litter boxes in high schools so furries who identified as furries could go in there. Even you young people have to admit, that's nuts. <laughs> and where's that come from? Because everything spiritual and physical comes from something that is spiritual. There's a war raging all around us that too many of us modern thinkers don't even, don't even entertain. Ephesians 6.12 says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against powers, against the force, world forces of darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. So common sense proved to me there's a source of evil in our world. Secondly, the Bible uh, uh, confirms the existence of a devil. The Bible clearly teaches there's a devil. The term Satan's used 36 times in the New Testament. And that means adversary. Genesis 3.1, we see the devil took the form of a, of a serpent. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than, than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree of the garden. So he's identified even in Genesis 3 as, as a serpent. Now you know he wasn't a serpent, but he took the form of a serpent. If he took a form of a serpent, he can take the form of a university professor. If he took the form of a serpent, he can take, and take the form of an ungodly husband. If he took the form of a servant, he can take the form of a world leader. I believe that the devil exists. Common sense says he exists. The Bible says he exists. Revelation identifies him as a dragon, a red dragon, who is trying to destroy. Jesus' own words say that he exists. In Mark 4, 1, 1 to 12, it's when he was tempted after fasting 40 days in the wilderness, Satan slips in and he starts tempting him. Oh, you hungry, Jesus? I can turn these bread into stone. I can turn this stone into bread. You know? And he says, I can take you up to the highest uh, peaks and you can jump down. 
I can take you to the highest mountain. I can show you all the kingdoms of the world and I can give them to you. How can he give them to you if he isn't the kingdom of the air? Jesus knew that Satan exists. The apostle John knew he existed. 1 John 3, 8. The reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Common sense says there's an evil one. Jesus' own word says there's an evil one. And my own existence knows that there is something rotten in Denmark and all over the world because there's a spiritual force in high places that's messing with all of us who want to follow the ways of God. So who's Satan? How did he come about? Well, he's a created angel. Now, we're not told, I didn't find it, maybe Tim can figure it out, when God created angels. Just as in Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God, our God, the only God of Scripture, the God of Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, in the beginning, he just spoke everything into existence. Ex nihilo, he just spoke the glorious mountains and the seas, the highest places you've ever been, the lowest depths you've ever seen, the glories of the heavens, the sun, the stars, the moons, everything. Evidently, angels as well. We get a glimpse in Job, the oldest book of the Bible, Job 38, 6 and 7, God, Job's been going back. He's arguing with his buddies, and they're saying, Job, you had to sin really bad this time because you're in a bad, bad way. And Job starts to complain a little bit, and God just breaks it all up. And he says, well, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. When I and the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy, clearly a representation of angels. Job 1, one day angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth in it. And then God said the strangest thing I could ever imagine. He, the Lord said, have you considered my servant Job? I don't know why God allowed Job to be enticed by Satan. We know it was for ultimate good. We know it was a rhyme and reason in the almighty mind of God. But it seems strange at the moment. He, he's a created being. Satan's an angel, but he's a fallen angel. And when you read Isaiah and you read Ezekiel, Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, it's kind of cool. It's fascinating, to tell you the truth, because he's talking about real kings at that time. He's talking about the king of Babylon. He's talking about the king of Tyre. But he does a Mick Jagger thing, and he looks behind the evil being talked about. He looks behind that evil to try to identify and give you a glimpse of who's really behind it all, and it's Satan. 
And he's talking about how, how Babylon had carried off God's people into captivity because they didn't believe and they wanted, they wanted kings and they wanted to worship other gods and they wanted to, to do the detestable things that the people who didn't follow God did. In Isaiah 14, 12 to 14, he says, How have you fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn? You have been cast down to earth. You once laid low in nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly on the mountain, utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. And Zaphon means that which is above consciousness. Or it was a Canaanite city and Canaanite territory of that day. It says, I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly upon the upper heights of Mount Zion. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Now, certainly he was God telling, Isaiah was telling the, the, the people of his time prophesying that Babylon would be destroyed by other nations and this king would be destroyed by other nations. And as he's trying to reach as high as he could to the pinnacle, he's pointing out that that destruction would come and it would be real. But he's also using language that surely tells someone who's really studying the Bible, that boy, that certainly sounds like the devil too. And the Bible tells us that Satan was cast out of heaven because of his rebellion. In Luke 10, 18, Jesus said he saw the, the Satan fall from lightning from heaven. And that's when he sent out the 72 to preach the gospel. Because Satan was being destroyed. The word of God destroys the Satan, or Satan's work. And he wanted to be served, Satan did, rather than to serve God. He wanted to dictate to God and not follow God's dictates. The Bible warns that pride comes before the fall. Human pride comes always at the behest of the devil because it destroys and it allows us to fall. And that same Lord he's talking about, he was talking about the king in Ezekiel chapter 20, 28, verse 17 and following. He's talking about the king of Tyre, but he's also relaying the evil behind the evil king of Tyre. He says in verse 17, your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to earth. I made expectable of you before kings by your many sins and dishonest trade. You have desecrated your sanctuaries. It's kind of God giving us, did you, did you all go through the story? Did Tim take you through the story? That was a cool uh, series because it taught us how to look at God from looking at the upper story that God sees. We just see the lower story. We're seeing all the devastation that God brings. And he brings it through nations and kings and people who are anti-God. But then you have to understand the upper story that God's just using this. He's going to bring this whole world to a natural conclusion. And we don't have to fear those things that are trying to bring it to occlusion because we're God's people and he's going to care for us. You know, uh, Satan was once one of the three exalted cherubs and cherubs were the defenders 
of, of the throne room of God. And they were, they were glorious. And they were beautiful. Now, they were different because they were portray, portrayed differently. Cherubs, Ezekiel says, they had four wings and four faces. You know, that's kind of weird, you know. But that's how they were described as Ezekiel saw them. And Isaiah, when the, when the temple was shaking, smoke is billing out, he's describing a seraphim, you know, which is a little different than, than the chairs, but they're ranked in orders. And, and, uh, and they had two, two, two wings that covered their eyes and two their feet, and with two wings they flew. Now, I'm retired. When Tim's get back from vacation, you can't even explain all that to you. <laughs> They're glorious creatures. Satan was a glorious creature, powerful, majestic. Don't buy the image of the Renaissance where they were puffy little babies, you know, with pudgy, with cute, with a diaper on, with wings floating on a cloud. That's kind of the description of angels in heaven. I mean, imagine Tim with a diaper and wings and flo floating on a cloud. If that's heaven, I don't know whether I want to go. <laughs> Have a good vacation, Tim. Any kidding. The three most famous cherubs were Gabriel, the revealer of God's plans, Michael, the general of God's armies, and Lucifer, the shining one. The sun of the dawn, the star of the morning, the beautiful and radiant. But it wasn't enough for him. He wanted God's glory. And pride brought him down. Because Satan is the enemy of God. And he's the enemy of God's people. And you can read in Revelation all you want to understand that. Well, what does he do? He's the prince of this world. He's the prince of the power of the air. He tempts us to sin. He, 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 he tries to make things that are sinful and opposed to God look attractive, new, and wonderful. He wants to do everything and anything that he can to keep people from going to heaven. He uses anything at his disposal to keep us from following God. He'll use the media. He'll use entertainment. He'll use pleasure. He'll, he'll use recreation to keep you from the Lord's house because the beach is only an hour and a half away. He'll use our flesh. He'll use the fallen, cursed world in which we live in. People who have rejected God's authority and love are in subjection to the superior, supernatural power of Satan and his wicked ways of life. The devil's power is exercised threefold. He entices and tempts people to do evil. And boy, that's easy in a fallen world living in the flesh. He uses demons to create sin and chaos. Believe it. In 2023, he still does that, college children. He uses institutions. He uses cultures. He uses governments. He uses corporations to do his 
bidding. Revelation describes the beast that comes out of the sea. And boy, you can read all kind of commentaries on that. The only one that made sense to me was the beast that comes out of the sea is just the hand of Satan. It's anti-Christian nations. It's anti-Christian governments. It's anti-Christian corporations. Any entity that would take you away from the, the worship of God, especially those that have corporate and, and national powers, he'll use. And he has from the beginning of time, and he has and he will to the end of, of time. He, Revelation describes the beast of the sea as the hand of Satan. Well, what do nations who are anti-God do? They oppose God. Anheuser-Busch, he can use them. He can use Disney. Disney used to be one of the most friendly, glorious, wholesome, lily-white, beautiful institutions there ever was. Now I see the hand of the devil in it. Target. Target was a Christian company when it was first founded. Now they're putting trans and baby children's clothes through their stores. The Baltimore Orioles, who I love. I was watching the game the other night. It kind of brought tears to my eye. There was the LGBTQT, whatever, <laughs> on and on, flag stenciled on the field. And let me say this. We got to love all people. They have a right to be transgender. They have a right to be gay and lesbian. But we have the right and the authority from Almighty God to tell them that it goes against the will and purpose of mankind. But we need to do it in a loving way, and we need to do it with the hope that one day we would have them come and worship with us. So you say these are just signs of the times. It's just showing that we're becoming more inclusive and more progressive, and this is a good thing. Well, there's the beast of the earth that came out of Revelation, and that was the head of Satan. It's anti-Christian religions. It's anti-Christian philosophies that we're dealing with today and the philosophies of this world. Satan's pro-religion. Satan's pro-church. He loves those things that would teach differently from the word of God. He loves for churches to sing the same songs we do, but welcome those who are doing the things that are against God's will. Liberal think tanks God uses. Progressive universities, public entities with global agendas. They have no place for God and his righteous decrees in our culture. Satan will use cults and false religions. He'll use traditional Christian denominations that have fallen to the woke agenda. And I'm so proud of the ones that are coming out from their denominational uh, 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 backgrounds 
and they're coming out and saying, well, we're not gonna, we're not gonna side with that. We're gonna side with, with the Bible. Have you ever been to Washington, D.C.? And you go to the Capitol, you go to the home of our country, to the seat of government in the United States. Every decision there affects our lives. There are two major parties, and they're vying for power, the Democratic Party and the Republican Party. These groups have competing philosophies. The one who, can, who, who, who takes control is the one who gets the most votes. And when they get the most votes, whatever party it is, they have control of the basic direction of the country. Spiritual warfare works the exact same way. You're either for God or you're against God. The earth is the battleground. Spiritual warfare takes place in heavenly realms and decisions are made there just like in Washington. And they're made to be anti-Christianity, anti-God, anti-you, and anti-me. Generals understand this. That's why they play war games. And there's a war college. Sports teams understand this. That's why they study opposing offenses and opposing defenses, and they strategize, and they use analytics today. They study everything to make sure that they have an edge on their enemy, and we need to do the same thing. What does Satan do? He aggressively opposes God. First Peter 5, 8, we've read this once. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around looking for someone to devour. He's not passive. He's looking for you to slip up. He's looking for you to get weak in the faith. He's looking for you to not pick up the word. He's looking for you to miss church three Sundays in a row. He slanders. And lions roar when they have their prey in sight. And Satan is roaring today. He slanders. He slanders God's word. He slanders God's people. And he slanders God's church. He supplants. He supplants good for evil. He destroys. He's Belial. He's worthless. He's the father of lies. He masquerades as an angel of light. He's a deceiver. He gets people to question God, question God's word, deny God's word, and reverse God's word. He twists the truth and makes it look something that's more attractive and more believable and more justifiable. Satan uses fleshly strategies against us because he knows where you're weak. And he knows where I'm weak. Our flesh in this fallen world loves pleasure. Our flesh loves to feel good. Our flesh wants to have its desires fed and fed immediately. And the devil knows us. And he observes our behavior. And then he cunningly wields his schemes to get us to fall into his sin. We all have weaknesses. Your weaknesses probably wouldn't trip me up a bit, but the weaknesses that caused me to fall on the ground might not bother you a bit. 1 John 2.16 tells us that Satan used these three ways to tempt us. 
and they tempt us away from God. He uses the lust of the flesh, which we've been talking about, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Pride opens the door for temptation. I don't need God. And Satan uses lust as part of his strategy to lead us down the road of destruction. He wants his, his destiny to be our destiny. He lost his privileged place before God's throne. He lost intimacy with God. He wants you to lose intimacy with God. He was cast down to earth, and he's furious. And he's been fighting God from the very beginning. Even in the book of Genesis, it said that there would be war between the serpent and the, and the, 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 the woman's child. He leads a fallen, worthless existence. And he wants to deceive the nations to live the same kind of life. Devoid of morality. Devoid of truth. Do whatever you feel. His destiny is hell, and he wants you to go there with him. You ever wonder why it's so hard to live a righteous life? Why it's so easy to overspend? It's so easy to lie. It's so easy to cheat. It's so easy to lust. It's so easy to fall into the devil's schemes and make excuses for missing the things of God. It's because he has not been introduced to many people in this modern age. He's a man of wealth and taste. He's been around a long, long year, stole a man's, many a man's soul and faith. The only restraining influence against Satan and the devil and his schemes are the things that are from God. His son, Jesus Christ, his spirit that lives within us, his word, the inevitable word of God, prayer, his church, the preaching of the truth of Almighty God. If you avoid those things, you are inviting chaos and destruction into your life. How do we avoid his influence? I have no idea what time it is. Don't know when we're getting out of here. But Satan ain't going to let you out. If you need to leave, you go ahead. <laughs> How do we avoid his influence? Well, you love God. You get to know God. You trust God. And you just love him. Satan's not God. His influence is limited by the power of the gospel. His influence is limited by the power of the church preaching the truth and by the Holy Spirit of God. The Bible says because you're anti-Satan and you're for God that you're the light of the world. City on a hill. Christ church can't be hidden from this godless culture. Light extinguishes darkness. You have, by your profession of faith and your baptism into Jesus Christ, been delivered from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the light of God's own Son. Can I hear an amen? amen. Satan has power, but he's not all power. 
If you stay out of the ring of his influence, you're safe. And that was one of the coolest things Terry Schultz, the man who baptized Debbie and I, taught us. We were riding with him somewhere because we were always asking him questions. And he said, Dennis, have you ever seen a tree in the backyard that a dog used to be tied to and the grass is all worn out around it? And he says, if you stay out of that worn out area, out of the, the devil's realm, you won't be bit. But if you venture in there, you will be eaten alive. Satan's not self-existent. He's a created being. He's not sovereign. His rule is limited. And he knows he's defeated. He's not omnipotent. His power is limited. He's not omniscient. He's not all-knowing. He's not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere at once. He has no intrinsic glory. He has no glory at all. Remember daily, every day that you get up, remember you are a child of God. And you must know every day when you leave the house, Satan is trying to destroy you. 2 Corinthians 11.3 says, But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may be somehow led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. John 15.7, Jesus said, My prayer is not that I take you out of the world. Jesus doesn't want that but that you be protected from the evil one. See, God understands what we're up against. God knows you're fighting a war. God knows that you're a Christian army. Remember that old song? Onward, Christian soldiers, marching off to war. We wouldn't have this mess around us if we did that over the last 50 years. Plus, and I don't have time to go and even talk about all these, but you know it from Sunday school. You got to put on the forearm of God, the belt of truth. It's the truth of God that keeps everything together. The breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, and pray at all times in the spirit. And the Bible says you must take every thought captive. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 to 5 says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage wars. The world does. Amen. The weapons we fight are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive and we make it obedient to Christ. You're going to be tempted. But you know, if you're in Christ, you know when you're being tempted. And we need to have the form of God on. We take every thought captive to keep us falling into temptation's danger. Don't let Satan's temptation, don't let his temptation travel the 18 inches from your head to the heart. See, when, I know when Satan's attacking me. Satan was attacking me this week. I told Debbie, I'm afraid to preach this sermon. I was getting timid. Have you ever known me to be timid? I was getting timid. Satan was working on me. I took that thought captive real quick. Submit to God and resist the devil and he'll flee from you, James 4, 7 says. Watch and pray that you will not fall into temptation. 1 John 2, 15 says, do not love the world or anything in the world. That'd be good advice for the modern day church. 
Matthew 26, 41 says, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. <laughs> Galatians 5, 16, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And finally, can I hear an amen? amen. I know. <laughs> 1 John 5, 4 and 5, for everyone born of God, overcomes the world. I love that. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. The Bible says you're more than conquerors. You're a holy nation. You're a people belonging to God. Start acting like it. The devil's a bad dude, all right, but he ain't nothing compared to the king of kings and the lion of Judah. You must make a choice of which entity you will follow daily. One's going to lead to love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You'll be so good, you'll, your wife won't even believe it. The other leads to sin and evil, rejoicing in the wrong, hating, jealousy, stealing, War, murder, lust, and sexual immorality. I and you have been delivered from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the light of his son. I say, woo-hoo, woo-hoo. Please allow me to introduce myself. I'm a man of strength and faith. Been around a long, long year serving God and preaching in this place. I'll be around when Jesus comes and takes us to a better place. Pleased to meet you. Hope you join my game and join Christ Church. Woo-hoo. God bless you, church. <laughs> if you got... Now, this, we're going to call this Decision Sunday because every Sunday is Decision Sunday. That word has been spoken from God's word. You've got to do something about it. Some of us even in here this morning, we may need to repent of our sins. We may need to confess our sins to one another. You may need this morning to be baptized into Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins so you'll have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit to fight the devil's schemes. And then you need to live a lifelong life of obedience to God and to glory Jesus in the church. If you need that this morning, any of those things, you need to come. The elders can lay hands on you. If you're sick, if you're facing tough times, because we live in a cursed and fallen world and our bodies fail us and disease happens, you need prayer before your surgeries, before you have to go get chemo, come, let us pray for you. If you just need a hug, Alan's right here. He'll hug, <laughs> he'll hug the living daylights right out of you. Let's stand and sing our...
him and is the band ready? I'm sorry, I think I was supposed to pray. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to let them stand. Come on. Let's sing. <laughs> 